Hey, everybody. Welcome to That There IGN Movies podcast, Keeping It Real. This is Jim Vavida, joined, as always, by Chris Carl. Hello. Roth Cornette is sitting this one out this week, but uh, hopefully uh, the gang will be all back together next week. Um, so let's dive into the uh, last weekend's box office, which saw... The Expendables 3 take quite the beating. Um, (laughs) Fourth place with just under $16 million. Um, Let's Be Cops. Third place with $17.8 million. Uh, Ninja Turtles and Guardians held on to the top two spots. Um, What do you think that says about Expendables? Is that franchise done? I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Sly already say this was it? Like. I I mean I kind of feel like he was kind of hedging his bets on this one yeah. but like I kind of felt like he thought this was going to be it and if you notice the um the marketing sort of this the after release marketing was like uh just all tombstones <laughs> No it just made it made reference to that like the join them for their final adventure or something oh, like yeah. that so they must have just taken a look at the box movies office movies have and never said, done that with the said, final one Yeah so I mean I kind of feel like um it's it like it's not super. I, there just wasn't the same buzz around this one as there was the first one, the second yeah. one, and uh, I I feel like a lot of people thought, you know, adding just more bodies to it yeah. wasn't that interesting. Do you how, how much do you think the the piracy factor played a role in it? I think there I think that was pretty significant actually. I I, I think you know there uh, oh there is a generation of people I think who consider everything free right and right. so i'm not saying like generally everybody do that but yeah. like you know if it's available online to some people it's like why would you go see that in the theater and i think that's a real concern for big movies like this yeah i mean i, I think uh at this point you know you can actually uh, put a dollar amount on the um the number of downloads and what they probably lost ticket was. I still don't think though it still wouldn't have been number one. No, no, and I, I actually don't even think it would have been number takes two. Takes you back to the the original problem. Yeah, I don't think it would have been even number two. And also, you know, the interesting thing is that people are willing to go pay for spectacle. They're willing to go pay for big Marvel movies. It's obvious they're they're willing to pay for things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers. But I, I just don't think this movie is bringing the wow, wow factor for people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think the reviews helped it that much either. Like, early notices were like, yeah, you know, more of the same. Not <laughs> Surprise. That it's the same. Yeah. So, um, I, I saw the film, and, and um, I thought it was okay. It was a little... It wasn't quite as corny and goofy as the, the second one, um, which, you know, gave it... Uh, I, I think Mel Gibson is great in it, but it yeah. just didn't... I, I, I guess my question is, these guys now, Arnold, Sly, Harrison Ford, um, they're all, none of them can open a movie. Yeah. Well, I, we've talked about this many times on this podcast, but I feel like this the star power is kind of waning in general. Like, it's not just for these people, but star power. You know, yeah. it's more character-based now. Um, you're not seeing as many people be able to open movies like that. And so it's interesting. I feel like... You know, just packing more celebrities into a movie does not guarantee success. It yeah. used to. You know, yeah. like if if you did the same movie in the '80s and you're just like Stallone, Ford, yeah, and then you, you're like, and that dude from Cheers, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But and the I mean, random Frasier. Yeah. If you had done that in the '80s, I think it would have been like, oh yeah, butts and seats. But now it's like, 
I, I think people have seen that stunt, and also they just don't care. Well, it's they're interesting th- though that so, so these guys, especially, none of them have really opened a movie lately at all. Yeah, no, everything is either like under seven million. Yeah, or, or much less, which is great. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're it just it really speaks to the fact that. Uh, generationally, these guys don't have a hold like they used to, and also, um, people just don't want to see them try to recapture what they used to be. Just yeah, grow into becoming a different actor. You know, I'll tell you what's going to be. I mean, be... imagine if Michael Douglas was still trying to do like Basic Instinct type movies <laughs> at his age. Like, wouldn't that be kind of gross? I don't want to imagine that. Yeah, that scene where he's walking to the bathroom would look. <laughs> Would look much different these days. It so, looked like that guy who got like in RoboCop who got melted. That's what it would look oh, like. Oh, poor Michael Douglas. He's looking sharp on he is, the set he of Ant Man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Let's uh, before we get to Ant Man because we do have some Ant Man stuff to talk See about. See how I was trying to steal a segment. Well, from I you? wanted to. I wanted to talk about this thing that uh, I've I've seen uh, written about elsewhere, which is called boarding, which speaks to your issue with the Expendables, where they just basically boarding is. You pay uh, a name actor a couple of million, right, for a few days of work on their movie, and they're basically just flown in, flown out, and it's essentially, it's it's just kind of like shoehorning in celebrities to try and up your your uh, sale factor in the movie. Like they're using like Into the Woods as an example. Like Johnny Depp showed up for a few days, you know, they pay him a few million. And then now at the end of the or like the giver, you know, Meryl Streep was was in there for a few yeah. days, adds a few million. But people are like, it's not really helping the movie and it's a it's an extra cost. Yeah. I mean, do you think there's any benefit to that? Is it just getting I, them on a talk show come release time? Perhaps. I mean, it's definitely a marketing. It's a, like cynically, it's a marketing decision, right? It's not a decision that is really impacts the art. Um, you know, they did that, even Marvel did that with, um, Iron Man where, and, and several people are doing this now, or several studios are doing this now where they try to in- incorporate like international talent for certain cuts. Of yeah. the movie. Um, I think in those cases it could be, it could help a little bit, but yeah. I think people are more hip to it than they've ever been. It's like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean much if, if, you know, Jude Law's in the movie for 30 seconds and they put his name on a poster, you know? Apparently it doesn't mean much anymore if Jude Law's <laughs> oh, in the movie for two hours. I and I like Jude Law, Dom Hemingway, people. Nobody oh. saw it. Um, all right, so let's move on to the week. Uh, let's talk about the week that was in uh, comic book movie news. Now, we have some, uh, some Marvel stuff to talk about. We have Ant-Man which began filming this week up in San Francisco. Their home base is going to be in Atlanta, but they are filming stuff in San Francisco. And uh, we've gotten our first look at uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah, they, they, a moody exterior shot, letting you know it's in San Francisco because, because it's not sunny. And, and it's uh, the Golden Gate it's Bridge under the behind Golden Gate him. Bridge. And basically, um, you know, we had our first look at, at him as Scott Lyon. He kind of basically looks like a down-on-his-luck guy with a hoodie and a van. And then uh, Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> Living in a van. <laughs> Living Down in by the river. river. <laughs> it is. But the ocean. Uh, Evangeline Lilly also posted uh, images of herself to her Instagram showing off her new hairdo. Yeah, she does and, have a and it looks very much, cut. It looks very much like the Wasp. And now it was, you know, she plays Hope Van Dyne, who is the daughter of Henry Pym, played by Michael Douglas. And um, everyone's assuming that... Because her name is Van Dyne, her mother must have been Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, and her haircut is very much reminiscent of the Wasp. But I do wonder, mm. 
if let's say you know there's going to be stuff set in the 60s like some sort of uh past ant-man kind of thing that when you know a, a flashback um do you think they're going to make it sort of like a spider-man thing where she now has these powers because they were like in the amazing oh, spider-man movies how like apparently because his father was doing experiments uh, he's got some sort of uh, possibly predisposition towards becoming a, a human arachnid of some kind i think it's yeah i, I think what's interesting about this there's a couple things number one you have this Ant-Man from the 60s, and I hadn't th been thinking about this before, but if we were following the way that Marvel Comics works, there would have been an Avengers in the 60s. But yeah, you can't right? have that in the cinematic universe because the Avengers only formed you know, in the 2000s. And so now what do you do? Ant-Man is just this lone guy hanging out in the 60s, and then maybe maybe you do introduce Wasp then, so yeah. you had costume heroes yeah. before Avengers. That kind of throws that paradigm into Well, some it's also, flux. I mean, but... I don't know because Captain America existed in World oh, War Two. That's true. That's true. So there could have been, there would have been some sort of precedent for like we need heroes. I mean, I could see them kind of t trying to tie everything together, like having young Henry Pym would have been a kid during World War Two and would yeah. have seen that and said, "Oh, there's a hero, and the world needs a hero again." Then it gets all bitter. Yeah, they've been really clever about how they actually handle suits and talk about that stuff yeah. too. So like, it's it, it never it's never like it might be a little bit of a, an imagination stretch, but yeah. it always makes sense. Do you think the he's going to have the, the big old like in the '60s one? He's going to look like uh, the Bumblebee <laughs> guy from Saturday Night Live. Oh God, <laughs> that would be awesome if they just went as cheesy as possible. I used to work at this uh, TV station, and the, you know, sta stuffed back in the back alleys of this place there was all kinds of like legacy stuff and apparently they had at one time done a kids show that used a bee suit but it was like the <laughs> most like mothball infested like rat eaten thing and so uh, we Fantastic. used to like we used to take turns fitting on this was like this furry gross smelly suit but uh, you look like, we look like that dude from the simpsons you know the guy uh, who yeah. dresses in the bee suit yeah I would, well, I have one picture of myself in that amazing <laughs> getup. Well, um, I, I, I fought crime with it. You should have. You should have. You <laughs> probably, though, your life would have gone a, in a much different uh, direction. The uh, I want to talk about uh, some of the other Ant-Man stuff. Now, did they announced the full cast. Um, Bobby Cannavale from Boardwalk Empire is in there. They didn't nice. say who he's playing. Uh, Corey Stoll, we knew, was playing Yellow Jacket or Darren Cross, who is the bad guy of the film. Uh Abby Ryder uh, Fortson, a young actress. Uh, I'm uh, assuming she plays Scott Lang's daughter, Cassandra, who we know is in the movie. Right. And what's interesting is in the comics, she's sick. And that's why uh, Scott Lang, who's uh, this kind of anti-hero guy, was a thief, everything. Anti-hero. Uh, there we go. <laughs> oh, I get it. I missed my own pun. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got a... So he basically steals Hen uh, Henry Pym's suit to try and go into his daughter's bloodstream and saver or something i don't know does it um, got an inner space element yeah it does actually a little fantastic is gonna show up right so. hey at this point in the marvel universe i wouldn't be surprised by anything michael pena uh we, we for months he's been you know uh attached with it he's officially on board uh judy greer from arrested development dawn of the planet of the apes also um in the movie uh wood harris from the wire and uh t.i the rapper actor T. High. Oh wow! Is in there, um, and then here's the most curious. I didn't thing. know he had done the slash actor bit, but I guess so. Well, <laughs> uh, John Slattery oh, yeah. as uh, as Howard Stark. That's now, interesting in and of itself because right. you're you're basically committing to him being 
Stark. Well, older Stark, and then yeah. you've got uh, Dominic Cooper as sort of World War II era Stark. But they, you know, his photo is up there in in the Cap Two sequence, yeah. and I kind of I kind of prefer him more as Tony Stark's dad because he kind of looks. Yeah. Like what you, you know, like I, I, I love Slattery and I, I you know, it was his cameo in Iron Man 2 is fine. But I, I, I do find it confusing now that you're going to have these two very different guys playing Howard Stark at different points. Yeah, I think that will confuse audiences as well. You know, I think it's it's kind of especially because of the Cap 2 appearance. I think it's like a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit jarring, but maybe I mean they're going to have to do that thing where he looks at a picture of himself, you know, and boy, he's like, really "Oh aged. boy, <laughs> those were the good old days, weren't they?" <laughs> then he pours a scotch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, for all we know, um, you know, we're expecting Howard Stark to be part of that Agent Carter TV series. Could Slattery now be in there instead of? Uh, I mean, I thought that was supposed to be like. Yeah. World War Two or after, so wouldn't it be Dominic Cooper, or were they gonna? Yeah. I mean, Slattery is free now. Mad Men's coming to an end. They're they, done filming it. I think if they if he is in that a bunch, it's gonna be Cooper. Yeah. I, I think it's gonna be Cooper on the show, but we'll see. I mean, that's that's coming up. You know. Yeah. We'll start hearing more about that very soon. I think. Um. All right. So, uh, uh enough about Ant Man. Let's talk about. Um, Doctor Strange, which is another upcoming Marvel project. Now, Doctor Strange, uh, Roth and I um, did a conversation on this earlier this week, but I want to get your two thoughts, on, uh, your two cents. <laughs> I have, you have, I have all only two thoughts, two thoughts, and, thoughts and, I will share and that's them. it. And then this show is done. <laughs> um, uh, Doctor Strange, there's a report saying that it will not be an origin story. Uh, yes. Do you think we need uh, a Doctor Strange origin story to understand that character? I don't think we need an origin story to understand any character anymore. I think, you know, now with superhero movies, everybody understands that superheroes all have an origin and everybody, you know, comes from somewhere. And I think, you know, Guardians was a, was a, an origin story, but it was cleverly masked. It was kind of like we get the backstory. In, yeah. In, it's like the, the coming together of a team, which is kind of an origin story, but like they shoehorned all in everybody's origins in like the space of a couple lines of dialogue, which is kind of cool. And right. then they used the dialogue like throughout to sort of explain more about that stuff. So like, I don't think we ever need to have a full movie that belabors itself with an origin story anymore. I think you can start, especially with somebody like Doctor Strange, you just start in the middle of the action and then, you know, give us little hints of what created him, but you don't need to like be like, and then he went to the Cauldron of Fire. <laughs> By the way, that's there was no that's, cauldron of fire. That's Doctor Strange's you. origin story. <laughs> he was born from the cauldron of fire, <laughs> and then he went to medical school. <laughs> Raised by Mephisto. <laughs> Sorry, terrible. Um, that's not true. That's not what his origin is. Oh about. God. Uh, I think uh, I think a lot of it is going to depend on. Um, well, it just makes me wonder, like, what is his his arc going to be then? Because his character arc in the comics is what defined him. He went from being arrogant to being. You know, a hero. I mean, he can still be an arrogant hero, but it's like, what is he going to learn? How is he going to grow and change? Yada yada. Yeah. Dramatic writing 101 crap. I yeah. get it, but like, it's true. I mean, each character has an arc, and I, I'm curious to see what they're going to do now with Doctor Strange. My thought on that is like, you know, you have this character who's really dominant in Marvel lore and on the cinema side, which is Tony Stark, and he goes from arrogance to. Well, still arrogance, but <laughs> but he's learned some things about himself, and he's learned to be more inclusive and you know a little more humble. And he almost like gave up his life to save the Earth from e the exactly. Chitauri. So like he's definitely like gone through some stuff. But I think 
we don't necessarily need Doctor Strange to be exactly like that. Um, I personally don't know enough about Doctor Strange to say, oh, they should pull from this story and that story. But um, I, I think I think they could even do that if they wanted to. It just I don't think they necessarily need an origin to do it. Okay. Or they just don't need to belabor the origin. Like, an origin can be, you know, pretty short, actually. Yeah. You got everything that you needed to know about, like, where Captain Kirk was coming from from the first, like, five minutes of Star Trek. You know? Yeah. It didn't need to be so, like, drawn out and be like, oh, hey. It, it also didn't need two movies to actually make him justified being captain. Just, yeah. You know? That yeah. Was, but that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. But I'm saying, like... I was already sold on his reasons for wanting to do that stuff right. in five minutes. So you can do it. Yeah, you know? that opening sequence with the birth and everything else. Yeah. Um, I want to take a, a reader email right now that's on, the, that's on the, the Marvel tip. And it's from a guy named Phil who writes in and asks, uh, Marvel has proven that they can take an obscure property, Phil Coulson. alter it from the source material, and still make it hugely successful. Given that this is true, do you think it's possible that they might start making movies based on original characters rather than borrowing from comics? The way I see it, they're already making original characters and stories. They just happen to be using names and properties from comics. But since mm. I've never heard of some of these properties, and neither have most people who watch the movies, it doesn't really seem to matter if they actually come from the comics or not. I think Marvel is Thanks, a Phil. really interesting blend of like fan service and good storytelling so i i would hazard to say i don't think they're ever going to go fully like this is something that we fully created just for the screen because one of their agendas is also to sell comic books right so yeah. like if they do make something for the screen i think they would they would blend it with their comics but my other point is like i think there are so many thousands of marvel characters out there and so many that people want to see that i think they are committed to bringing some of that stuff to life on the screen and i don't know that they would go fully like let's make i don't know what do you think well i think i think you you get into the the dangers that that faced um not on on the movie screen, but uh, somebody like Stan Lee when or, or or Marvel back in the early '90s, where they what was it New Universe or whatever they, they were. Oh. You like try to also oh, like create create like these new characters, and nobody cares, you know. Like they, although I have every issue of Kickers Incorporated, the <laughs> well, football there you superheroes. Go. The fo <laughs> mm. I'd rather see a Spider Ham movie. I think myself. But. I was just thinking about Spider Ham the other day, and like, what a weird anomaly he is. But like, <laughs> now that he belongs to Disney, how cool would it be to get a Spider Ham like animated movie? Yeah, I or, would buy or, that. or a weekly cartoon. Yeah, I used to. I totally love that. Peter Porker, man. That's right, Captain America. I <laughs> I always loved it when they. Yeah, exactly. I would always Nick love it Fury. when they brought other other like animals into the mix yeah yeah and dr then, doom oh man so good uh when i was a kid i totally loved that all right well thank you phil for your uh for your question um hope we answered it let's uh let's move on and talk about some uh video game movie stuff uh, a few few uh big items this week so um let's start with uh resident evil the final chapter Mila, uh, Mila Jovovich um, announced this week that she's pregnant uh, with uh, her and her husband, Paul W.S. Anderson, the writer, producer, director of Resident Evil. Um, they were in Cape Town, South Africa, about to start production, and oopsie, mm. somebody's got a baby now. So well, they're going to have to delay it about 10 months. And, um, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you think about uh, the... Um, 
first of all, just Resident Evil, the final chapter, do you really think it's the final chapter? Yes. And uh, do you think that, um, I mean, I don't know, do you think there's still going to be an appetite for that film? Uh, it's already been a couple of years since the last one. I think there's going to be the same appetite there is now, 10 months from now. I think there are going to be people who want to see whatever that series is come to a close, you know, like, it, not, that sounded horrible. I think yeah. people want to see the, like, the end of that story, and I think, you know, like, people will wait to see it. And You know, that movie, it's made on a modest budget. It's not like it has to make a ton of money back. Yeah, there's and a it, reason why they're filming in South Africa. Yeah, and it makes money internationally, you know. Um, so I think, I think they're sort of, there, there's a lot of uh, checks and balances there. Like that, it's not going to necessarily need to be make so so much money. So I think they'll make it. Yes, I think it will um, be the last one for sure, for sure. Especially if she's now going to have a baby. Um, and then I think what's going to happen to it afterwards is that Sony is going to retain those rights and relaunch it as something completely different. Yeah. Which I think everybody is kind of, it's time for that. Everybody wants yeah. that. Um, and I, I think gamers will be excited to see that. I'm excited to see a different take on it. Even though, like, you know, we've said a bunch of times in this, I don't hate on the Resident Evil movies. I just think they're, like, just weird spectacle. Yeah, yeah. Um, to but, me, they, they seem very much of a different era. They, yeah. Oh, they seem sure. like uh, 90s movies coming out in the 21st century. It's actually really good. I, I caught, um, you know, the second Mortal Kombat movie on TV the other night. Not the whole thing, but I was like, you know... Paul W. Sanderson is still kind of making his movies like this, but, you know, with slightly bigger budgets and better effects and stuff. But it's like the storytelling is really simple and it's really straightforward and it's all about action and, you know, like set pieces and stuff like right. that. So I really think that, I mean, and there's a place for that, obviously. Yeah. Like people, yeah. <laughs> people definitely want to see that. So, yeah. Let's, um, but let's but let's wrap that series up and reboot it. Right. Uh some other video game movie news this week, Dead Rising. Uh, and this is interesting because of the, um, uh, the, the, basically the, the format that it's going to be launched in. Uh, Dead Rising is, uh, is a digital project that, Cap, uh, that, it, that um, Crackle is doing. Yeah. Uh, now, Crackle, if you guys don't know, they're basically a streaming service. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they are doing original programming of... Dead Rising, and they've hired Zap, uh, Zach, Zach Lepovsky, director gonna... of Leprechaun Origins, Chris. <laughs> I, w I would love it if his name was Zap. Zap. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, director of Leprechaun Origins to direct it. And it's which going we haven't to, seen yet. Which we haven't seen yet, but it, I believe next week it's going to be in limited theaters and on VOD and then on home video in, in October just in time for Halloween. Starring Hornswoggle. Hornswoggle, who showed up on our uh, live, yeah, stream at live stream San Diego Comic-Con. How about that there, right? He's quite a again. nice fellow. Both those guys. You know who's really nice was Kane. Kane. Kane was like a super sweet, sweetheart guy. Like, okay, Kane, well, haunt my nightmares. <laughs> but Dead Rising now, it, it's going to, um, basically, it's going to launch on Crackle and then uh, move on from there to other, uh, to other formats. Uh, like VOD and, and stuff like that, and then uh, eventually on, on Blu-ray, and I think maybe even get some limited international theatrical release. Mm. What do you think about that sort of thing? This sort of we do see more and more of these sort of digital. It's just we used to call them web series, but like basically streaming adaptations now, live action yeah. of video games. Uh, you know they're trying to do that with Halo. Do you think is that 
maybe is that the way to go with video game adaptations? I think there's all kinds of different ways you can go now. Um, you know, I was I was actually like at having this dilemma last night because I wanted to watch um, that movie, The Poughkeepsie Tapes, because oh, the yeah. Dowdle Brothers directed it, and right. it just hasn't seen distribution. It's kind of languished with MGM forever and it's just I was like where did this ever come out in any format and no it hasn't come out in any format except it's on YouTube in its entirety so I was like well now I'm living in a world where I could potentially see a movie for the first time on YouTube like a feature film that was intended for the the, the theater because remember in um, I think it was 2007 that trailer was on a bunch of stuff that was coming yeah. out you know around Halloween or leading up to Halloween and so they had every intention of releasing that in the theaters. And I yeah. think like, um, there was buzz out of the festivals and stuff that it was too hardcore, et cetera. So it's interesting. I think that I think all I think people are experimenting experimenting with a lot of things. You know, Magnet does their VOD thing. Yeah. You know, uh, A24 is now doing stuff with DirecTV where they debut things. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more and more stuff. But in terms of just video game movies, I don't think it's like confined to just video game movies i think all movies have the potential to do things like this and yeah tv shows too you know hulu's doing series amazon's doing series right who would have thought man when amazon launched that one day you'd be watching like yeah. basically tv shows on this shopping it's not just for buying toys and <laughs> yeah. books um uh speaking speaking of all that though activision blizzard uh there's a report that they want to start their own basically movie and tv studio that they um, uh, are seeing uh, diminishing returns on Call of Duty, and um, uh, I don't know. I don't that, know why they think that. That's yeah, like, uh, that's that's that one. Yeah, there's a couple of reports that were claiming that, but then uh, uh, Skylanders that you know there's only so long they can milk that cash cow. Um, so do you think it is it a do you think uh, is it wise for Activision to try and get into the studio thing. When you look at, like, Xbox, basically, start it and then stopped. Yeah, well, here's what I th- here's what I think about Xbox. I, I feel like they just waited. They set it up, and then they just didn't come forward with projects, like, soon enough in, yeah. in the Xbox thing. I've, th- I've long thought that Microsoft should be making movies. You know, like, they should just have made a, a Halo movie already. Um, it, it Based on, like, how much, how expensive it is to build a game like that, like, why wouldn't you make a movie? It's yeah in that ballpark, and the returns are really good on it. Well, yeah, something I mean, like Halo. There, there seems like uh, I don't. I, I guess they they're constantly worried that it's somehow going to make people stop buying the game that'll tarnish that brand. But um, uh, that seems they did. They did, think about it. If Marvel had thought that way we wouldn't have an mcu right now yeah sure i i think i think activision doing it is smart i think they do i mean you touched on properties that they have that are huge um but there are all kinds of other properties that fall under the activision you know mantle it's also blizzard um so you've got stuff like warcraft and things like that i mean warcraft now is weird because you know, it's not being released by that studio that yeah. was formed. But Skylanders, so big. And Call of Duty, so big and mainstream. Like, you could easily make a movie, a TV series, anything yeah. you wanted to. And people, it's instant, instant recognition. Right. Um, we have a reader email here uh, about video game movies from Tyler Smith. And Tyler asks, 
Do you think we'll ever see a movie based on a video video game nominated for Best Picture Oscar? Whoa. The Last of Us movie seems like it could have a shot, but I think it being a, quote, video game movie will be too much of a stigma to overcome. I, I agree with that to some extent because I think it would even be hard right now for a superhero movie to get nominated for Best Picture. Even if something was really, really great. Like, even, you know, like there was so much buzz around Dark Knight. Yeah. And that's why we now have up to 10 Best Picture nominees because there was such a backlash from even voters. Like, that should have gotten nominated. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I do it think, didn't. I do think there's a stigma. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because let's just get a good video game movie yeah. first. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll think about awards. I but, mean, does a video game movie really need an Oscar? Like, <laughs> no, I, it, it's, it, it, it seems like that would just be bragging rights, but it's, it's really. Oscars are a little antiquated. You know, we yeah. talk about it from time to time, but it's like that whole thing is kind of old Hollywood and it doesn't feel like it gels as much with some of the newer. Um, ideas coming out in and so i feel like there, it, it's it's like turning a really really big truck it's going to take a long time and there's a lot of momentum <laughs> going in one direction well that's uh that's an interesting way to put it a a truck reference <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm making all the truck references today um oh, let's talk about uh let's talk about um star wars let's do that episode seven there are some rumors this week about star wars episode seven that um uh, and this is a little spoilerish if true, but we don't know if it's true. So let's just uh, speculate away. Um, I am going to refer to a report that we have up here on IGN about um, the vi- uh, that the villains of the movie could possibly be a group of Sith Inquisitors, similar to those found in the Expanded Universe, but now they're going to be uh, seen in the upcoming Star Wars Rebels TV series, which is canon. And again, like the EU stuff, uh, everything's been reset, but they're basically kind of culling from these different things that did exist in the EU and putting their own spin on it now and making that canon. But right. the villains would be Sith Inquisitors and that um, basically Luke has been missing for decades uh, and that uh, he's basically, um, or for years, I don't know if it's been decades, but he has been uh, held by the Inquisitors and that essentially they want to bring back the Sith and it's going to turn the whole idea that there can only be one Sith master and one Sith pupil at any one time on its head. It's not going to be true anymore. And that the two main characters are um, the uh, the characters played by John Boyega and Daisy Ridley as a couple of kids who find Luke's lightsaber or his severed hand, something like that, um, uh, and then go in search of him and find Han Solo and Chewbacca, who are now no longer flying the Millennium Falcon. Uh, Oscar Isaac has it, and they're flying around and a Star Destroyer, which are now all part of the Rebels. Like, after the war was over, uh, yeah. you had all this Might stuff well. left over. That's what they used to do back in the day. Just it's kind of like how in Ferguson, Missouri, how they all have uh, uh, war and terror military equipment. Kind of like that. I'm not getting political. I'm just saying it's an observation <laughs> of the real world. Anywho, so Star Wars. So what do you think about the idea? Of, oh, oh, wait, wait. And there's even more. That Billy Lord, the uh, daughter of Carrie Fisher, uh, is in the movie and that there could be a flashback where she would be playing young Princess Leia, Whoa. and you would see Darth Vader uh, giving orders to the Inquisitors. That's crazy. I mean... We've never had a flashback in a Star Wars movie, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We haven't. 
But uh, that's crazy. We've had dream sequences. Dream sequences for sure. I that's a lot. That's a lot to chew on. I kind of like the Inquisitors thing. Yeah. I think that's a good way to sort of like up the up the stakes and make the make the villains more villainous. Yeah. Um, I don't personally need Darth Vader in this movie. I don't think it's like a necessary element, but it could be cool if it's handled right. Do you think they they're are they doing that just so they can have that quick glimpse of him in the trailer and have people go, oh, I mean, crap, and that's it. Maybe, yeah. yeah. But I mean, the way that JJ is, it might also just be like, wow, that's a secret until it happens, you know? So we'll, yeah. we can see. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling, oh my God, dude, can you imagine? I I'm just nerd out a little bit, but like, can you imagine when that trailer drops, what's going to happen? <laughs> I can because it'll, I mean, after Phantom Menace, yeah, it's everyone's going to lose their crap and then naysayers <laughs> will kick in and we'll have a divided response. And yeah. I, hopefully, I mean, I, I, I think people are, there's probably a little bit more goodwill towards this one because of the cast involved because it is such an amazing cast. It's but, also you know, earned goodwill too. It's like yeah. they're making steps to make it feel like, hey, you know, we have the same issues that everybody has had with the prequels and we are going to take steps to make sure that we don't repeat the things right. that people think are mistakes. You know? That you get the uh, Star Wars movie that you really want, that there's going to be more of a reliance on practical effects. Even Ryan Johnson, the uh, writer-director of Episode Eight, um, has come out and said, you know, that they're going to be doing more of that. Uh, it's been evident uh, in, in some of the set videos that J.J. has put out for... Um, uh, is it Force for Change, the the mm -hmm. charitable uh, thing that they're doing? And then, um, you know, and also, I don't know, I feel like uh, so far I haven't heard anything about the Star Wars movie. Even these plot rumors, even if all this stuff is true, there's nothing in here that's really making me go, oh, God. I kind of, I think <laughs> the idea of the Inquisitors is really kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. It's and it, and it kind of sticks within the idea of the Sith and Jedi's having this kind of religious element that they were like warrior priests. Yeah. I also like know? the, I also like, um, Luke having been missing for a while, you know, yeah. like, that's an interesting plot point if it exists. And, uh, you know, Han, Han, there's gotta be that like triumphant moment where Han and Chewie take over the, if this is true, take over the millennium Falcon yeah. again and fly it again for the first time. I and mean, that Oscar cool Isaac's that? character is supposed to be sort of like a Lando Calrissian type that he even has a cape. Nice. By the I way, I can see him rocking the cape. He seems like he he could play that kind of swagger kind of guy, you know. By the way, at um at San Diego Comic Con, I gotta give props to this kid I saw dressed as Bespin Han Solo, like he oh, was wearing the, the Bespin outfit oh, with yeah. the little jacket and everything. Oh too. no, I, I used to like, love that jacket. That's badass. Yeah, like when I was a kid, if I got a denim jacket, I thought that was my <laughs> Bespin Han Solo outfit. Um, and then for, uh, let's see, some other Star Wars stuff. We also, um, you know, there have been rumblings that, you know, that they're purposely trying to recapture sort of the quest arc of the original movie. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, it holds true that these two kids are basically the main characters, it's the same idea. Like, we're going off looking for Luke, like the way they were going off trying to find the princess. Right, right. You know, in the first movie. And I think that's kind of a, it's a way to go full circle without making it too much of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, like... Well, you know that like oh, 80% of these kind of movies in Hollywood kind of follow that formula of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Oh, yeah. Um, and thanks and to Lucas kind of reintroducing that guy exactly. to the popular culture. So it only makes sense that it would start with a quest and include yeah. those elements. You know? well, will you be disappointed uh, to find out that w what if Han and Leia's kids 
aren't even part of this. Yeah, what or if they what don't if they have don't have kids? kids? What if they broke up right after Jedi? I honestly don't care. Like, uh, I personally, I like I've said this a bunch of times. I don't care if there's like a Skywalker arc to this series. You know, like I'm fine with the, the original cast showing up for just this movie if it makes sense, and then not appearing in later movies. Yeah, but you know. I kind of I, I now as this, as this production has gone on, I kind of feel like they will be in more than one movie. Um, all right, let's let's talk about uh, some other stuff that's going on this week. I'm just going to write off some news items. Um, Mission Impossible Five has now started filming in Austria, and Ving Rhames is back. Uh, playing the same hacker character from the earlier films, and from the Ice Bucket Challenge, we saw the director and, um, and Chris McQuarrie. And yeah, Chris Tom McQuarrie Cruise. and Tom Cruise both did the Ice Bucket Challenge. And, All right, uh, I, I got to stop you right there. This Ice Bucket Challenge. All right, it's out in of California. It's out of control. People, we're in a drought. We're in a very serious <laughs> drought, and you're I just write a check to charity. <laughs> stop wasting water. All right, there. There's my old. I man saw somebody rant. do it the other day, and they're like, "I used pool water." I'm like, "Okay, well." All right, well. Yeah. Fun. Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> I just stuck my head in the toilet and flushed. <laughs> Way to be conscientious. <laughs> and then, uh, and then Charlie Sheen just rained rained dollar bills over him. But these guys <laughs> were not in California. They were off shooting their movie, and they did an ice bucket challenge that was essentially like about about twenty production people came up and doused them with water one after the other to the to the point where Tom Cruise is like, "When is it gonna stop?" <laughs> exactly. But we got to look at him in this video, and you can see like his hair length is sort of like back to normal. It's not like long. He it's doesn't kind of, have his wispy locks again. It's kind of a little bit between. It was like a little bit longer than maybe the last one. So he's he's looking like a little bit more, you know, put together, <laughs> Ethan Hunt. Um. Let's see what other uh, news items do we have. Oh, speaking of Tom Cruise, Edge of Tomorrow, the Blu-ray release apparently has a brand new title. Kind of. A live, die, repeat: colon Edge of Tomorrow. Well, on the spine you see it says live, die, repeat, and then there's a slash. In in fiction, we call this a virgule. By the way, oh, a slash is called Fancy. a virgule. Um, so uh, there's live, die, repeat, and then it says uh, Edge of Tomorrow. So like, I guess take your pick. But the cover is live. <laughs> I repeat. Yeah. Do you like that title better? I do, but uh, day late and a dollar short. It's edge of tomorrow in my head now for good. So, yeah. So I don't know that it is too late though, because if it helps sell the movie when it didn't, you know, perform as well in the box office, it it'll be looked upon as genius. Um, let's see what else do we? Oh, uh, casting uh, news: Jungle Book Origins. Yes, that's the actual title. Oh, this is Warner Brothers. Rise of the Jungle of the Apes. <laughs> there we go. Well, it's the Andy Circus one. Uh-huh. It's, he's making his his uh, directorial debut. He's directed Second Unit on the Hobbit movies, but uh, and he's playing Baloo in the movie. Hmm. Uh, this is separate from the Disney one that John Favreau is doing, where Bill Murray is Baloo and Ben Kingsley is Bagheera. Circus is one that we we have. You know, rival Jungle Book movies now, just Why? like we had rival. Robin Hoods and everything, rival Wyatt Earps. Um, I don't know why we need rival Jungle Books. Well, uh, here's the cast for circuses. He's called on some old friends and some new ones. Actually, no, he's worked with all these people before, so what am I talking about? Uh, All old friends. (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch. uh, Smoke. The Batch. uh, And Khan is trading in one Khan for another. Shere Khan. As Shere Khan, Mm -hmm. the the evil tiger. And... um, Christian Bale, who worked with Circus and The Prestige, is is uh, Bagheera. 
the uh, the the panther that kind of basically is trying to take care of Simba, and then Cape Blanchette uh, is Ka. Simba, Mowgli. Simba, did I say? Yo, Mowgli. Oh my God, <laughs> sorry. I was like, oh, no, Simba. Simba. Simba was the guy. Was the kid who played Mowgli uh, in the old Jungle Book I movie. So Mowgli. There, there. Right up there here. Uh, so uh, I think it's kind of interesting though that both uh, the evil snake Ka in both versions is being. Uh, voiced by a smoky-voiced blonde. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, and then here's here's another thing I want to talk about. Um, uh, Pierce Brosnan said that he turned down the role of Batman back in the 89 movie that he had met with Tim Burton. And uh, wow. he said that he just couldn't take it seriously and that obviously he was wrong because, you know, all he... Could even though he was a Batman fan as a kid, all he could think of was the Adam West stuff. Um, what do you think of basically Remington Steel pre James Bond <laughs> era? This is after he lost the James Bond role to Timothy Dalton. He was cast as Bond for Living Daylights, and then Remington Steel. There was a contract thing. He got screwed out of James Bond, yeah. and and so he had well, a wait. Got like, his. He got his, but like almost a decade later. So it was in that interim that. Tim Burton was doing Batman, and, you know, I think it sounds like a studio was pushing, like, you know, look at a guy like this for Batman, because clearly yeah. Burton wanted somebody like Michael Keaton. He wanted somebody quirky that he could believe going in that suit. But what what do you think? Uh, you know, Pierce Brosnan is, is uh, Bruce Wayne Batman. I like him as Back Bruce Wayne. He, he's similar to me as, like, to Val Kilmer in a way. Like, yeah, like yeah. I think his sort of uh, look would have been similar to that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It would have been weird, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I I can't recall. I'm sure he has done um, uh, U.S. accents. Maybe he did it in Mrs. Doubtfire, actually. He did in uh, a movie he did with Robert Pattinson where he's supposed to be a... Uh <laughs> he's supposed to be like a guy from Brooklyn or something. It's just it's really terrible. As long as he doesn't have to sing. Oh, still with the Mamma Mia. Hate <laughs> I mean, I gotta, I gotta bring back Mamma Mia. I, I think, I think he would have been. I we don't talk about Mamma Mia enough on this podcast. I think he would have been an interesting. It would have been an interesting choice. I loved yeah. Remington Steel when I was a kid. So yeah, yeah, kind of cool. Well, you know, it's interesting too. Uh, Ephraim Zimbalist was on that show, and he was the voice of Alfred. In you the just Batman. said that like it was nothing. It really was. It, it was, Ephraim it was Zimbalist. No just, big deal. Yeah, you know, I can say the big words. I can't say the little ones. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about this other uh, interesting story. Uh, um, China is testing texting uh, on-screen messages onto the screen during a movie, while a movie is showing. What do you think about that? I think it's horrible. If that ever <laughs> happened in America, I'm no longer going to the movies. Well, okay. Okay. What if it were like, what if it were like, uh, not every movie and it was just, you go to a, a specific screening where that's part of the thing. Like I could, I could enjoy it like a Rocky horror kind of thing. Yeah, it was, it would be fun if you're like going to see showgirls and seeing everybody's text mes messages and like pop up video, I guess, but not everybody is funny enough to be MST three K. Oh no, that's true. I, I went to, uh, I went to yeah. a midnight screening of uh, showgirls in, in San Francisco when I lived there. And like, I would say roughly 10% of the crowd was funny. And the other ninety percent just did not understand how to, you know, <laughs> scream jokes at his screen. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that would be the, the death of the movie going experience if that was allowed into 
every theater. If it was everything, yeah, for sure. But there's also Disney had done this thing that was um, you go see a movie and there's a second screen experience on your iPad. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know how that would really work. It's only it. They only did it with movies that had been out for a long time or were coming back to theaters. And didn't, weren't they also like, like kid friendly movies? Kid right? friendly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could see something like that, you know, making its way into theaters. I don't think I don't think anybody. First of all, I don't think any uh, cinema really has a huge interest in only doing text things. You know, like yeah. it, it, that just won't happen. But I don't know. Kind of an interesting experiment. Um, I, I want to. I want to talk about, um, there's some news in the Pixar front this week. Now, The Good Dinosaur was supposed to come out this year, and it's been delayed to 2015. And according to John Lithgow, who plays the voice of um, the dad dino, it's basically about the, the, the premise of the movie is that what if the asteroid missed the Earth and ancient humans and dinosaurs had to coexist and dinosaurs had basically become farmers? And, right. uh, you know... Um, but, you know, he says, Lithgow says that the movie has been completely reimagined. Uh, and so that it's, uh, he has to completely uh, re-record his entire role. And he said it's going to be great, yada, yada. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I well, mean, it's, it's been pushed until, I believe, November of 2015. It's going to be great, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, anytime you overhaul the whole thing, I it, here's the thing. I think if Pixar does it, it's you know maybe they saw that things were getting clunky or not working, and they and the overhaul will actually make it a better film. A lot of times when you do that, it's like, oh my god, this movie is doomed, right? Like right. I have to go back and and re-record dialogue. There were some animated movies though where people had to go back and record big chunks of. Um, their work. I think even the original Shrek, they had to do that some, yeah. and it was fine. You know, like it's fine. Obviously, the original Shrek came out, made a ton of money, etc. So, yeah. Um, all right, we have some uh, some breaking news uh, that we wanted to to cover. Um, let's see, David Yates, the director of the last several Harry Potter films, is now uh, been reported to be directing. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the Potter spinoff, um, and it was uh, it was just announced uh, as we were as we were doing this. So I'm just this is breaking news, people. Let me. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, he's in negotiations with the studio, according to Hollywood Reporter, direct uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, and it's set 70 years before the events of the Potter movies, and centers on a fictitious author named Newton Artemis Fido Scamander. Newt Scamander. And uh, basically, Scamander compiled a reference guide to magical beasts, a bestiary, if you will. And uh, and the movies will follow his adventures after he is commissioned to write the tome. Uh, and it's, fiend folio. Um, it's going to... Uh, oh, it's going to actually film in New York. Interesting. That's strange. It is strange. Why is that? Uh, unlike the Potter stories, which kicked off in London, Fantastic Beasts will film... I don't know. Maybe there was no room at the end over there. I think it's interesting that... I thought uh, they were supposed to film it. I thought that was the report a few months ago. Maybe they're just doing a little bit of stuff. To me, it's like... It's just kicked off, so maybe they're just starting in New York. It's a big deal because no Potter movie is shot here, to my knowledge. Yeah. Like the, well, the, maybe they've done stuff in the, the back lot at Warner's, but... Uh, you perhaps, know, like yeah. But usually it's like all... It's all... It's an all-English production, right? On English soil on, in the UK with UK actors... Um, I'm wondering if they'll 
keep that for this one or if they'll expand it. I mean, yeah, think about it. Would you would you how how much do you think they're willing to to uh to shake things up? Um I I haven't read that that particular uh work and I don't know if the characters um Newt's commander's uh nationality is even mentioned could he be an american and i think well i think i i don't know but like i kind of feel like it's it's more than any harry potter thing it doesn't really rely much on the source material because it's the story of him making this book which the book itself is just like hey here's a bunch of fantastical creatures you know it's like fantastic beasts it's fantastic it's just like a monster manual essentially from D &D, but written by this guy and so like this is going to be the tale of his thing yeah What's interesting is the sky's kind of the limit in terms of conflict and how you set it up. And, and also nobody's going to know what happens next, uh, which is unlike the Harry Potter books where, you know, how faithful adaptation, what will they have to leave out, how will they change things, yada, yada. Now, We're not going to know. Rowling is writing these movies. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's interesting because... She's she had a lot of a lot of like input and control on the the you know famously on the the Warner Brothers oh, yeah. Harry Potter movies. I'm guessing it's going to continue with this, but oh, yeah. they don't wanna, they don't want to lose that cash cow. It's know? yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's insane. Um, what uh, do you think of Yates though? Which ones? Which uh, of the Harry I, Potter movies did he do? He, he, he did, did he Order did of the um, Phoenix. He did uh, the the Deathly Hallows. He did Order of the Phoenix. I think he did and the last Half Blood Prince, right? The last four, yeah. right? So the last four are some of the best. In, yeah, in and, terms and of, he has a wonderful eye too. Yeah, so like the last ones are some of the best ones, and I I don't know I I'm I'm stoked on that news. I know we had kind of uh, heard rumors of Koran doing it at one point, but I, he's got his Oscar now. He's not he's not gonna he's <laughs> he not need to he's do going this. forward, not back. But, uh, uh, whenever I talked to David Yates, he, he seemed like he really loved this world and liked to participate in it, and I think it's it's a, he's a good choice for this. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see exactly how this is all going to play out. Now let's uh, let's start wrapping things up here and talk about what's opening up this here weekend. Um, the the big new release for the IGN crowd is Frank Miller's Sin City, a Dave McKill for you have not seen it. I saw it last nah. night. Roth reviewed it for us, gave it, he said it was basically okay. Uh, I, I concur. Uh, I think there are moments of it that are extraordinarily cheesy. Yeah. And, and really, like, it made me doubt my liking of some of Frank Miller's writing, to be honest wow. with you. Like, when you just hear it spoken out loud, you're like, that's really over the top. Like, it looks, it, pl- it reads fine on the page when it's a comic. Yeah. But, like, said out loud, it just, it's kind of really ridiculous, some of it. Um, and, and it's, some chapters of the story, two are original, two are, um, uh, are uh, based on from the comics um you know it's it works better in parts than in others um and even though it's under two hours it really felt long at times to mm. me there were a few points where i'm like wow we haven't even gotten to the nancy callahan losing her crap stuff yet you know yeah, yeah. uh but eva green is fantastic and uh and mickey rourke great and jessica alba you know really kind of you know brought it as as nancy and powers booth makes a great villain you know? i love powers booth as a villain yeah I and mean, like if you he's guys just get seen... that voice oh man <laughs> if you guys haven't seen deadwood he's uh, so good in deadwood he's yeah. also in tombstone right mm-hmm. he was yeah. curly bill in so, tombstone he's, and he's he, awesome. he, i gotta give a shout out to an old movie where he's actually the good guy in the movie it's called southern comfort and walter hill who did uh 48 hours made it 
and it's it's a great film. Basically, it's uh, kind of like Blair Witch meets Platoon kind of thing. Like basically, a bunch of guy like Blair meets Witch Deliverance meets, <laughs> meets uh, Platoon meets yeah. Deliverance. All right. Basically, it's all these weekend warrior guys off in the swamps of Louisiana who run afoul of uh, of um, the locals and start getting picked off. You don't want to get run afoul of the locals. Yeah, That's you don't want to run afoul. Period. No. You don't want your your plan to go horribly awry. <laughs> but uh, Sun City Two not tracking too well. Tracking for maybe fourth place. Wow. Um, you know what's tracking for number one? Chloe Grace Moretz. If I stay. Yeah, uh, I kind can of see a, that. A, a sh- I can see that. It's kind of like Fault in Our Stars meets Ghost meets While You Were Sleeping, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's that schmaltzy teen romance with a, if I die, will they miss me? And that, and that, you know, that Fault in Our Stars proved that that was good. Yeah. It was a formula. Well, I mean, frankly, Chloe Grace Moretz could use a hit. Yeah. <laughs> she's been in a lot of flops. Um, she's in, also been in a lot of good movies that didn't necessarily perform well. Right. Let Me right. In was really, really oh, good. Oh, yeah. Love Let Me In. And, I mean, uh, that movie is never going to set the box office on fire. But So let's let's talk what, about what do you, that. So. What do you think? I Sin agree. Sin City 2. Here's a movie for years. Fanboys have been saying, you got to make this. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. The closer we get to release, the more people are like, I don't really care if I see this. It's like, holy crap, it for. only got made because you kept whining for it. Now nobody seems like they want to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is like it maybe they maybe waited too long. Yeah. But it's been whatever. almost almost 10 years. Yeah. Do you think uh, how long how long is too long when uh, when when doing a sequel? Well, 10 years is too long because <laughs> but 20 years might be just right because then you have nostalgia. People are in a different place in their lives if you wait 10 years, you know. If you wait yeah. 4 or 5 years it's like, you know, more yeah. <laughs> people are probably still kind of in It would be like if you try to do it like any uh, like if they did Zombieland 2 now it's not going to have the same yeah. thing because we've had so much zombie stuff. I don't know. They do should have done Zombieland two a year and a half after the first one came out. I'm but super happy with Zombieland just being its own exactly. standalone thing. All right, so let's let's guesstimate here uh, what we think. I think if I stay, I, th- I believe the tracking that will be number one. I'm going to say about 19 million, and then I think. Um, what do you think? Do you think Guardians will edge up to two, or do you think Turtles will drop to two? I think, I mean, those two just seem like they're neck and neck. And think about it. They're all, the fanboys here, they have Guardians, Turtles, and Sin City 2. They're all competing. And then you have for kind of the more mainstream adult crowd, When the Game Stands Tall, uh, a fact-based football story. So I think it's going to be um, <laughs> Fault in Our Stars. I think it's Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> it's, um, it's back, I, Fault in Our Stars 2, if I stay, um, <laughs> is going to be at about $20 million, And then I think um, Guardians will be second, but at about uh, $15 million. Turtle, And then I think, actually, I think Sin City is going to be third with 14, And then um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles right below it. Okay. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say Ninja Turtles second place with with 16 and Guardians third place with 15 and I think fourth place Sin City 2 uh I'm going to say 12. I don't think it's I think it's going to underperform. Let's see. Uh, we'll see. I mean, eesh, it's it's like I wasn't nuts about the movie but I don't want to see it tank either because yeah. you know, look, it's in, it's it tries to be innovative. I think it looked great uh even though you know that 
the approach isn't as novel as it was the first time. You know, it still looks good, and it's got a great cast, and, you know, it's kind of... I, I don't like to see anything flop, especially something that was so long in the making. Yeah, but, for sure. But, oh, well. Um, <laughs> but, but whatever. But, hey, not my money. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I think uh, that'll about do it for this weekend's pod- podcast. Give us a shout-out at uh, uh, iTunes. Drop us an email at keepingitreal at IGN.com. Follow, uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Chris Carl and at StaxIGN, S-T-A-X. And uh, we will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening.